Welcome to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports, where we explore every corner of the women's sports industry from the field to the front office. I'm Caroline Fitzgerald, and I'm here to prove that it's good business to be in the business of women's sports. Today's episode is brought to you by Ally, a change maker in women's sports, steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity, because we're all better off with an ally. Our guest today is Sarah Stiles, the Director of the Office for Women in Sport and Recreation in Victoria, Australia. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. And thank you as well for everything that you do to promote women's sport and tell people this is good business. Well, right back at you. I have been (laughs) referencing the data and the reports that your team has been putting out. I swear every day I'm having a conversation about the incredible work that you've done. So thank you for everything. Thanks for coming on the show to share more about the data and the work that your team is doing. I think it's so interesting. So yeah, we'll just start there and say, thank you. Keep up the amazing work. And it's so wonderful to be in this together. I know we have a lot to chat about today. We are recording this during the Women's World Cup, which is so exciting. 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. It's quite a moment for women's sport. And I know, again, your team is doing so much work around women's sport, not just during this World Cup, but all year round. So we're going to talk a lot more about what you do. But before we get there, I'd love to hear more about your path through sport, because I know you've had quite a journey. So can you can you talk us through your career path? Give us the short overview of how you uh, ultimately became the director of the Victorian government's office for women in sport and rec. When I look back, even dating back to being a teenager, there's these red threads of what clearly became my passion that just took me a while to be figuring out. So um, the short version is, as a teenager, loved sport, decided I wanted to be a sports journalist. First time I stayed in Melbourne, actually, which is the capital of Victoria, I was a country kid who got a work experience placement in sort of the largest uh, newspaper, came down and spent a week in the sports department. And I'm like, you know what, journalism is one big English lesson. That's not for me. But you know what, for some reason, and I, I try not to judge 16-year-old Sarah, I decided being an accountant would be far more interesting. And I don't know. But anyway, started my career as an investment banker. So working in mergers and acquisitions at um, an investment bank called Macquarie, which is Australia's largest investment bank. Um, did that for five years and had, um, during that time, also started up a private business in sports, so specifically in golf. Uh, so came out of investment banking and I was actually in my first in-house corporate role, sort of working in strategy development and investor relations where the kind of call came one day of there's a strategy role that we want to talk to you about. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm pretty happy where I am. And then, and I'm like, by the way, you know, as you do, career hint for anybody, if you're ever talking to a headhunter, have a chat, even if you're not looking for a job, always good for the relationship. And at the end of that phone call, I ended up sort of saying, oh, by the way, you know, where, where was that job? Thinking, oh, you know, it might be at a bank or something and, you know, I might be able to put them onto a friend. And they're like, oh, it's actually at Cricket Australia. It's to lead their new women and girls strategy. And I remember this moment exactly because it is the only point in my entire life that I have spontaneously face-palmed and I'm like, you're kidding. And they were effectively trying to find a female investment banker who was interested in sport and they were just testing the waters of, is this something that might interest you? Not realising they were handing me what was ultimately a dream um, to start working in sport. 
So joined Cricket Australia, which is the national governing body for the sport of cricket, over here in late 2014. Uh, that was an interesting time because the women's sports movement looked very different at that point in time um, in that while there were incredible people who had been driving change for a long time and there was some positive change that had been happening the real momentum in this wave that we've had in Australia hadn't kicked off yet. That really started kicking off in 2015. So in 2014, when I'm like, oh, this is sounding pretty interesting, and sort of testing it with a few mentors and a few people whose opinions I cared about, every single person was like, that is a terrible move. Do not go do that job. That will be tokenism. That will just, don't, don't do that job, Sarah. Why would you go do that? And it was only one friend who happened to have been a, a very – um, good goal for herself back in the day and I can remember testing it with her and she's just like oh that could be pretty interesting hey um, and I'm like yeah sounds pretty great because um, my background wasn't in cricket I was a sports fan I was a cricket fan in terms of when it was on the tv watching the men I knew the Australian women's cricket team existed which is more than at that point in time two and three Australians could say um but just it's the potential of sport and what sport can be and the joy and the energy that I'm like, I get that everyone's telling me not to do this, but I'm going to go do it anyway. Um, so that set off the next almost six years for me coming in and admittedly when I first joined cricket, it was more about my way of I'd been engaging in sport, which was as a woman who was a fan of men's cricket because my remit as head of female engagement, which is the first time this role had existed, was any touch point that cricket had with women and girls, we felt we could do better. So I got to write the script in terms of what did our strategy look like. And those, you know, early weeks and months, you know, you think about what I now do at the Office of Women's Sport and Recreation clearly were transformational for me. Like I can remember kind of coming on board thinking I'm going this way and then I'm seeing this thing over here, which is the Australian women's cricket team, the players, you know, the competitions, what they had achieved. You know, these are arguably the most successful team in Australian sport, world champions time and time and time and time again, dating back, you know, they've been playing since the 1930s. And um, I, it blew my mind, absolutely blew my mind, transformational for me around, you know, just this wholesale, no, 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 it's not this way. Do you realise what you've got here? And ultimately I judged the next six years as saying, you know, how do we reframe women's sport from being seen as a cost centre? you know, bringing some of that kind of business language back in. And don't get me wrong, it's a cost centre that they cared about and it was a cost centre that they wanted to win World Cups, but kind of the sense of it's a cost centre to know this is an asset. This is the most powerful asset you have in terms of your growth. And that was just a great joy. So, yeah, 2015, we launched the Women's Big Bash League, the new national T20 competition over here, and just took a team that as I said, incredibly successful but practically unknown offered um, to by sort of 2019-2020 was being named Australia's most loved sports team by some independent research and International Women's Day in 2020 broke the world record for the highest attendance ever at a women's cricket game just off your 99 FIFA World Cup final. So 86,000 people at the MCG. We ran out of tickets to sell um, and it was just a beautiful moment. Um, so that was sort of, yeah, my time at cricket. Um, I also have a young daughter. Um, so after that, I was going down kind of more the consulting path. I was working with the Australian Sports Commission, the male champions of change, working on kind of national strategies across the sector of how do we do this. 
And then in 2021, the role as director of the Office of Women's Sport and Recreation came up. This is literally the only job of its kind in the country. Um, and so that was a real sliding doors moment of I hadn't seen myself going back into full-time work yet, but at the same time, who knew when this was going to come up? It was only the second time it had ever come up after the office was created in 2017. So, yeah, threw my hat in the ring, ultimately was successful, and I'm thrilled to sort of say the you know, the environment that we work in, because we're a part of the Victorian government, is an incredibly supportive and flexible place. And so that's how I've found my balance between stepping back full-time into the workforce but also having that balance with my beautiful daughter um, in the way that I want and I think many women want. So, yeah, fast forward two years, here we are. Here we are. And what an incredible journey that you've been on. And I think it's so special that your position even exists, that your office even exists. It's so unique, I know, in Australia, but also I don't think we have anything like that here in the United States. So I'd love to hear more about what kind of work that you do? What are some of the key programs, the key initiatives that you lead on behalf of the Victorian government? So, I mean, unfortunately, I think you're right. One of the lines that we say is we're um, the only office of our kind in the country. Uh, we think it might be the world, but in the country, and I can't wait until I can no longer say that because what was done really well, um, the Victorian government coming on, gosh, nine years now, commissioned an inquiry into the state of play for women and girls in sport and active recreation. So sport, we know, active recreation, things like running, walking, cycling out in the community. And that report landed in 2015 with nine recommendations that ultimately were all accepted by the government. And off the back of that, our main campaign, the Change Our Game campaign, launched in 2016. I think there was a sense at that point of how do you actually resource something like this properly? We want to deliver these recommendations and normally how this work gets done is off the side of someone's desk. And I don't mean that in um, at all in an offensive way. What I mean that is, you know, it is one of many things that most people have to do. And I can think about some colleagues around the country who are doing incredible work, but it's one of the many things they have to do. We get to focus. We get dedicated resources, dedicated focus to be able to do this. So that's why the office was created in 2017. So, yes, can't wait until uh, people follow suit. And there are some um, organisations starting to do that um, um, in other areas as well. So our key areas that we focus on, you can effectively bundle into three. We focus on participation, leadership and visibility. But the visibility one we're going to spend, I think, a bit of time on today. There's actually a lot underneath that. When I think about participation in Australia, we arguably have a more kind of interventionist approach to kids' sports participation than what you would see um, in the US. So sports are very hands-on in delivering programs, whether it's in schools or supporting through community sport to get kids in particular playing, but as well as adults, because we probably have a slightly stronger culture of adults still playing sport recreationally, team sport recreationally. Um, so in the participation space, some of the things that we do are our programs. So we provide grant funding directly to community clubs. We've supported hundreds and hundreds of community clubs to have things like come and try days, um, leadership training opportunities, motivational opportunities, cultural training, whatever that may be, um, to do something like that. We also have one of our biggest pieces of work at the moment is the um, what we call the Fair Access Policy Roadmap. And that for us is uh, in Victoria. Victoria is actually divided up into pretty much 80 um, local government areas. 
And uh, what we're working on is how do we connect how the state government funds those local government areas to build more sports infrastructure with the requirement to have gender equitable access and use policies in place. So a little bit of a mouthful, but pretty much that gist of there's one sports field and the girls don't get to use it because the boys want to. How do we unpick that? That's what we're trying to do. And ultimately, we're going to connect it in with funding. We're connecting it into their obligations under Victoria's Gender Equality Act. And at the moment, we're running kind of training and workshops and a whole bunch of capability building across the state to do that. So that's kind of participation. Um, in the leadership space, we think about the leadership of sport. I want more women CEOs. I want more women chairs. I want more women as head of high performance and in head coaching roles. So how do we make that happen? But how do we make it happen in a way that shifts us past this idea of, oh, you know, we just need to go see, send a woman on a leadership course? Because I think this is starting to perpetuate a myth of a woman needs to go and learn how to be a leader. No, she doesn't. You know, these women are incredible. We're not saying that to the, you know, male counterparts sitting in the next, you know, desk over. So how we're doing that is particularly through supporting women with what is the technical skill that she might want to refine to nail her current job and get the next one. So we completely revamped how we approached this space last year. And a good example of that is for what we call our next generation leaders. So who are the women who are in more junior or middle level roles, but they're looking at those CEO roles. They're looking at those executive suite and kind of going, that's where I want to be. And really importantly, they're comfortable saying that, you know, that's where I want to be. I don't know how to get there, but that's where I want to be. So what we've been doing is starting to pair women with um, leading executive coaches. So coaches that normally only very senior business leaders get the ability to access to say, okay, if that's where you want to go, how do you get more comfortable articulating that to the people around you? But also what is the, um, the path you're going to chart to get there? Because this sense of these things very rarely happen by chance. They happen because I want to get there, which means I need to test this skill set. I need to develop this experience. I'm doing this and I'm positioning myself so I can get that role when it comes up. So things like that um, is just, yeah, you know, that's how we're approaching that space. And just simply providing that network that you've got your champions, you've got your cheerleaders, you've got your support network as well, um, which I know I've benefited from as well. You know, other women working in sport that when you are feeling a little bit low, they're the ones that are like, hey, you know, how can I help? What do you need? And sometimes that little bit of a reminder of, yep, you're having a bad day, it's okay. Um, and in the visibility space, this for us is a really growing area of focus. So for us, if we think about it, what are the structural barriers that are preventing or stopping the full realisation of what women's sport can be? And ultimately, I think if you scratch and scratch and scratch at this, it comes back to the visibility gap. But the visibility gap has so many layers behind it, this idea of where is the investment coming from, which is the, the key of why we've looked into this recent research that we'll talk about. You know, where is the investment coming from? What is the media coverage connected into this, which is showing what do we actually talk about and are exposed to as a community? But there's also something in this, I kind of, in my head, I picture it as this, this invisible hand that is on the top of women's sport because there's some differences between men's and women's sport in this country 
that can be accounted for through rational factors. Women's sport has been underinvested in for more than 100 years, and that has led to a gap. That has led to some gaps around broadcast ratings, for example, although not all broadcast ratings, but again, we'll come back to that. So there is this, some factors can, you know, attendance, there's some gaps there, again, driven by that historical underinvestment. But there's some factors here that are, can't be accounted for by reason and fact. And it's this second, this this last bit, which is around how do we get past the stereotype? How do we get past these ingrained sense of, I oh, know sport is for men. I celebrate men as heroes. You know, this is effectively, you know, the gladiators of our century. You know, how do I get comfortable celebrating women, being excited about watching women perform? And I think, you know, looping back to when I first came on board at cricket, it was actually a really big surprise for me to start to dive into some of this research for the first time and understand that, at least at that point in time, gender stereotypes in Australia are far stronger than you, I certainly realised compared to you know many countries around the world. Now, don't get me wrong, many other countries, not so much, but kind of, you know, countries that you would assume would be um, comparable. Actually, Australia's industries are very gendered. Our education can be very gendered. And there's something in this that we also are needing to unpick. So, you know, in terms of a program connection then in the visibility space, something that we do is also support women who are interested in being in sports media. So we've had our Women in Sports Broadcasting Program in recent years, which we've connected with on um, an incredible group called Making the Call and are providing women with greater understanding of how do you actually, what does a career in broadcasting look like? You know, what does the industry look like? How do I, again, chart my career path of what this could be? And that's had incredible success as well. You are truly taking a 360 full court approach to changing the game in Australia and beyond. It's really remarkable. You mentioned this, the research that you're also churning out and commissioning is so valuable and it's being referenced around the world. This most recent report that you put out, the value of you can be what you can see addressing the sponsorship gap for women's elite sport. It's so powerful. It contains some of the most compelling stats that I've ever seen around the value that brands can derive from sponsoring women's sports. So can you share more about that report and what some of the key takeaways are? Of course. When we were looking towards for the uh, to the FIFA Women's World Cup coming to Australia and New Zealand, something that we were conscious of, well, two things we were conscious of. One, it was going to be a really uh, incredibly, wonderfully busy time. So uh, it's not about simply replicating everything else that's happening. And two, and more importantly, how do we make sure this is not just this moment in time? Uh, because it's an incredible moment in time and Australians do love getting behind major events and the fact they're getting behind this, like, absolutely record crowds, record ratings. So from the officer's perspective, it's very deliberate from us that we wanted to use this time, this spotlight on the tournament to say, how do we get more investment in women's elite sport? And particularly, how do we get more corporate sponsorship into women's elite sport? So we engaged a a global sports insight firm, Gemba, who are based out of Melbourne, um, to work with us to sort of say, how do we we dig into this? How How do we show 
when you do have companies investing in women's sport, what are they getting back? And on one hand, in this country, the connection to women's sport is often still shared through a bit of a, a CSR play, like it's the it's the right thing to do. You know, you you go for values alignment and things like that. Now, that's not to dismiss that, but that is established. What is less established is this is a smart move. This is smart business sense, and you are going to make a really smart decision. And here is some very solid research and solid stats catering to your marketing leaders, your sponsorship leaders to say invest in women's sport, back women's sport. So our research showed that in Australia, the sponsorship gap between men's elite properties and women's elite properties is more than $125 million a year. So like we're not talking about a small gap. And if you think about that is money that then goes to the athletes getting paid, the um, fan activation experience, that where the matches, the, the frequency of how much the women are playing, you know, what it looks like in terms of the marketing and promotion because, you know, hot tip, men's sport didn't get to where it is purely organically. It was It is a product that has been invested in and marketed and grown and women's sport has not had that to the same extent now. Um, so how do we close the sponsorship gap? So we um, were working with representatives of some key sports over here to understand what they were seeing in trends, diving into some public financial reports around what we could see there and also speaking to current sponsors. And what we found is for every dollar that a current sponsor is putting into the visibility of women's elite sport, so when we talk about visibility, we say that deliberately because there's the twofold. There's the direct sponsorship, but then there's also the amplification of it through the marketing campaigns, through the, you know, when I drive in Australia right now, I'm driving past billboards everywhere of Combank promoting the Matildas. It's that as well. So for every dollar that's invested, we found on average that company's getting $7.29 back in customer value. So customer value is when you dive into the increased likelihood that somebody is going to buy from you if you're a fan of a certain sport that you're associated with compared to everyone else in the general population. So that was incredible for us. When we started to see this, we're like, wow, that's exactly what we were you know, hoping to see, but seeing it on paper is another thing. And so what the research then found is for the organisations who have listened and and have aligned themselves with women's sport, they're benefiting from more than $650 million in customer value each year. So talk about smart business sense. Now, if we were to close that sponsorship gap over the next 15 years, which, I mean, 15 years, it's, it's not a short time. That's given people plenty of time. $49 billion of customer value on offer for the companies that get involved there and align themselves with women's sport. Because what we're seeing with women's sport is these properties are growing and the brands who are coming in here can benefit from that. They can grow with the property. They can shape and be intrinsically connected to this incredible movement. So, And it's not just the financial information. You know, what we found is um, you know, some of those core sponsorship metrics around brand awareness, around brand consideration, around customer conversion, women's sports properties were actually outperforming men's properties. And there's some extra information in there as well around um, some of these key brand attributes. So if you're a brand that over here, you want to be seen as, you know, an expert, you want to be seen as supportive, Australian, innovative, a whole range of things, it makes more sense to align with women's sport. It's not about a competition but it is about us showcasing the smart business case 
because women's sport for too often it's been dismissed as yeah oh no it's only the warm and fuzzy thing we're here to say no 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 if you actually want outcomes if you want better results for your investment your shareholders should be telling you invest in women's sport Absolutely. That is the whole purpose of this podcast is to make the business case for women's sports. And your report indisputably does that. We know that by investing in women's sports, companies can tap into this wildly growing market, strengthen their reputation, both as a champion of diversity, while connecting with these highly engaged audiences in ways that they can't with men's sports. So like you said, yes, it's warm and fuzzy, but it's also good for business. It's such a win-win to invest in women's sports. Sarah, you've been in this space a long time. So looking around the women's sports landscape right now, what are some of the things that you're most excited about? I mean, what I'm most excited about at the moment, it's sometimes hard to quantify. You know, I'm excited about the fact that we're having to spend less, almost like mental load, justifying the presence of women's sport. Investment decisions are happening um, in a way that a few years ago were much harder. The brands that you're seeing aligning with women's sport, I mean, these are some of the biggest brands in the world, some of the biggest companies in Australia who are backing it. But there's also the the kind of um, the less noticeable things. And I've had the great joy of going to three World Cup games so far. I'll actually be at the final, uh, not to do with my job. I was online. As soon as tickets went on sale, got tickets for my daughter and I. We'll be flying up for that one. Um, but when I look around those crowds, on one hand, I see what I expect to see. When I go to these major events like this, the tone of the crowd is actually different because the demographics of the crowd are so different. A lot more families, a lot more younger children, a lot more women feeling comfortable, safe, enjoying these environments. But I've noticed something with this World Cup that has given me, you know, a wonderful moment of pause that I'm seeing groups of young men, adolescent boys who are there by themselves. And I've been sitting, they've been sitting near me and um, they are just so engaged with what's happening. You know, they are big football fans. You know what? I'm guessing they own every copy of the FIFA game as it comes out. And they are just simply watching it for what it is, which is sport. It's not sport and women's sport. It's just sport. And they are there for it. They're there for it in the same sense that, you know, those little girls who are seeing themselves represented for the first time are there for it. That for the women who didn't have those opportunities and perhaps feel a little bit of melancholy but excitement about this, they're here for it. And in Australia, and I imagine it's the same in other places around the world as well, we actually see really strong engagement in whether it's soccer, cricket, we haven't sort of touched on AFL much today, a lot of these sports of of men as well. There's a vocal minority of jacks um, who uh, say people don't want to watch women's sport. If you dive into the data, actually a huge number of men watch this because they're just simply fans of the sport. They don't care who's playing. They want to watch good sport and they're there for it. So, you know, that's what's really exciting me. Now, what I want to see is if they're almost like the leading indicators, what are the ones that we need to come up behind? We want that sponsorship gap to close. We want the um, gap in media coverage, you know, um, women's media coverage in this country. There is no sector that gets more media coverage than sport, none. And yet we still have women being a small minority of that coverage, despite the fact we are seeing such incredible growth. 
Sarah, we're going to pause right there. That's a good place to break. We're going to hear a quick message from our sponsor, and then we're going to come back and finish out this conversation with our closing questions. As you may know, the goal of this podcast is to show brands, networks, and people in general that it's good business to invest in women's sports. We know that women in sports are incredible and are breaking boundaries and setting records. But did you know they receive less than 10% of all sports media coverage? It's a vicious cycle. The lack of media coverage means fans miss out while networks and sponsors can't see the fan base and don't invest in the media. Now, more than ever, it's time for brands to jump in. That's why our sponsor, Ally, is making big moves to put an end to the cycle and give women's sports the coverage they deserve. This year, Ally is continuing to invest in access for women's sports through sponsorships with ESPN, CBS, and women-owned outlets giving fans more opportunities to watch what they want, where they want. So tune in and be part of the change. To learn more, check out watchtochange.com because we're all better off with an ally. All right, Sarah, we're back. So I have three final questions for you to close out our conversation. Number one, if you could wave a magic wand and create equity in one aspect of sports, or I should say, if you could wave a magic wand and change our game in one way, what would that be and why? I recently had someone give me an analogy of going to the dentist and got a sore tooth. You go to the dentist. The dentist might patch up the outside, but ultimately the pain's not going to wait, going to go away if you need to drill and drill and drill until you get to the root cause. So I think about this of what's the root cause. You know, there is certain things that would be easy to say, you know, I want equal pay or I want women to not only earn a living wage, I want them to actually prosper in a career as an athlete. But there's the things that sit behind it of, well, why aren't we there at the moment? And I think this is where, for me, it keeps going back to how do we erase the visibility gap? I agree. That is such a good answer. Sarah, last question for you. And this is the question we always close with here on the podcast. Can you summarize in a few sentences why you think it's good business to invest in women's sports? It is good business to invest in women's sport because there is no downside. You're going to get a better return on your investment. You're going to get a positive alignment with the positive values of the leagues, the teams, and the athletes, and you're going to be making an incredible impact on the generations to come. There is no downside. There is only upside in aligning yourself with women's sport. And you have the data to back that statement up. And we have the data to back that up. Well said, Sarah. This has been so much fun. Thank you for everything that you and your team have done to change our game, to change the game for women and girls in sport. It's remarkable. We're going to keep using the data, all the research that you put out to make the business case for women's sports. But again, thank you for everything. Thanks for coming on the show to share these insights. It's a pleasure to know you. Absolute. Our pleasure. And that's the thing. If anybody wants to hear any more about Change Our Game, just go to changeourgame.vic.gov.au. Follow us on social media. I know we follow you on social media and we are just learning so much because of that. And yeah, let's just get this done. Thank you for listening to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports presented by Ally, a change maker in women's sports steadfast in their commitment to the fight for media equity because we're all better off with an ally. 
To learn more about goals and our work to bring more brand investment into women's sports, be sure to follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, or visit our website at goals-sports.com. And remember, it's simply good business to be in the business of women's sports.